Welcome to the Challenge Podcast. My name is Bram McCartney, founder and director of the 38 Challenge, a warrior workout in memory of my brother, Captain Matthew Brewer, in order to raise awareness for mental health and veterans and athletes. On February 19th, 2021, Captain Matthew Brewer committed suicide due to the invisible scars he endured through a lifelong mission of serving and protecting others. The Challenge Podcast allows warriors to show vulnerability in order to empower others to seek help and to do the same. This podcast at times might seem uncomfortable, and while that's because showing vulnerability is one of the most challenging yet strongest things that someone can do. If you or a loved one are experiencing suicidal thoughts, please contact the Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. And now for this week's episode. All right, so this week's episode of the 38 Challenge podcast, we have my my close friend who I just met last week in Tampa, uh, Mrs. Dallas Knight. Um, Dallas, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. And as soon as I met you and knew your story and just the person who you were, I knew we had, had to get you on here um, to discuss the very important things that they were talking about. So a little introduction on Dallas. Um, she works with a former guest that we had, Bruce Parkman, um, and she is just a, a badass woman, hosts her own podcast, is very empowering, um, a combat veteran himself, herself. So, um, Dallas, why don't you introduce yourself and, you know, uh, just thank you so much again for, for jumping on today. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of this amazing mission. If once I learned about what, what you were doing, I knew I had to be a part of it um, with all the things we're about to discuss. But as Grant mentioned, I am a combat veteran. I joined the military when I was 17 and saw combat at the age of 19 and dealt with my own traumas, we'll call them, through that process, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Absolutely. Um, but the military led me into my law enforcement career. I was an intelligence analyst at the Las Vegas Police Department, assigned to a federal task force there for a decade. And then I made the crazy jump into the corporate world in 2014 where I've been essentially an advocate of analytical software ever since. And now I just aim to kind of help analysts and law enforcement around the world and military for that matter, understand the tools that they have to offer. But then on the side, I also am very passionate about not having your past define you. Mm. And we all come from so many different backgrounds And some of us, quite frankly, are handed quite a shitty plate. And I like to inspire and empower people to to pursue all their hopes and dreams and desires, no matter what their past looks like. And so that's kind of what the Not So Average Jane podcast is about. We've focused on um, very powerful women who've come from quite tragic or devastating or crappy backgrounds. Um, But we're kind of turning a new leaf and focusing on things like yourself, like trauma, overcoming it and, and so on. So thank you again, Grant, for having me on. Well, I think this is going to be an awesome conversation and to our listeners and to you Dallas for what you represent. I mean, I apologize for ignoring the, the women warrior culture because I think the definition of a warrior, right? I mean, it's not just combat veterans or athletes. I mean, women are, are, are warriors in themselves with the, the just traumatic experience. I think that that's a definition we need to change too. But, you know, just showing vulnerability now, like with my experiences with my brother, um, I only saw it as, as a man's issue, right? And it's not true. And so I'm excited to have a conversation with you as our first woman on the podcast to get 
your insights on vulnerability to see what it's like being a warrior um, as a woman, right, in the combat sense of the word. Um, and then also just, you know, the connection for what you said. I think in order to grow from our past experiences, right, and, and grow into the person that, yeah. we need, that we need to be, you have to show that vulnerability, right? You have to address your, your childhood trauma. You have to address the things in your life in order to, t- to take that trauma into something good, which it seems like you're doing in your personal life and through, the, through your podcast. Yeah, I definitely am a believer that there is a lesson with every experience, good, bad, or indifferent. And then it's really the power comes from what you're able to do with that lesson. Learning and growing from it yourself is powerful, but being able to also take that lesson and share it with the world is where you really step up a whole nother level. Absolutely. Yeah, I saw a quote on social media the other day. I forgot exactly what it says, but it was like, you won't know the person to you are until you know you you face something that destroys you and that for me resonates yeah. so hard because it's like as much as i wish i didn't have to start the 38 challenge because of obviously the just devastation that it costed me and my family like now because we've gone through that fire or i would say moving through the fire right going through the storm at right. i don't know if you ever get through it but like I am a much different person than I was before the death of my brother. Um, and for, for better or for worse, right? Absolutely. You, but the, the amount of people that you're touching now, the amount of lives that you have the chance to change is, is so powerful. And I commend you for that for sure. Thank you. But this podcast is not about me. It's about you. So we'll get, <laughs> we'll get into, um, Am I deflecting? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll get into it now. So, you know, something that's interesting, you joined the military at 17 years old. So yeah. what led to you, to you going into the military? Can you kind of lead up to maybe what that decision entailed? Yeah, it, um, it's kind of easy to explain. I come from a military family. So my grandfather served in three wars. My uncle um, is a combat veteran himself. Most of my cousins are older than me and were in the military. And I was 17 graduating from high school and I didn't take high school seriously. Mm-hmm. And so my grades were crap. And I was at a, a juncture in my life and you may laugh at this and everyone else may laugh at this, but I grew up in Las Vegas and my juncture was, okay, you're 17. You're either going to go in the military or you're going to be a stripper. And I didn't want the lifestyle of that, like nothing against that lifestyle, but I just, that's not what I wanted. And so I joined the military and my mom actually had to sign rights over to the government because I was still a minor. Interesting. So you got to this path between, you know, I'm either going to, you know, I have to, to go and do this to, to provide for my life and survive yeah and survive or or you know you had that two kind of path and you chose the the military route and I think that that's interesting too the conversation with um with just society in general is you know you mentioned the point it's like yo I'm not I'm not judging you because for a lot of women like that's how they survive so I think like that's another way that you have to think about just when you look at someone and Mm -hmm. I think mental like it with society in general, but, you know, mental illness and stuff too, like you can't judge a book by its cover, right? You have to, we have to be understanding of each other's experiences, right? And have those conversations. Um, So interesting. So you go to the military at 17. Before we jump into the conversation, 
of what that whole experience was. I would like you to define what vulnerability means to you, maybe before going into the military and then all the experiences since you've had after it. I don't know that I truly understood the meaning of vulnerability before I went into the military, to be honest with you. I, I grew up in a space where there weren't a lot of in-depth conversations, so feelings weren't discussed a ton. Um, planning of your future wasn't really discussed a ton. So I, I don't think I knew what it was like to be vulnerable. Um, going into the military, I joined uh, July, August, September, three months prior to 9-11. So oh, wow. yeah, wow. <laughs> I, I had no idea really what I was joining, what I was signing up for. And then um, I was actually waiting for basic training. I wasn't, I wasn't scheduled for basic training until January. So when 9-11 happened, I was in college and I was going to school and I was like, holy smokes, like my entire life is about to change and I don't even know what to expect. And I guess when I discovered what vulnerability truly was, was I would, I think I got a taste of it in basic training because you were, I don't want to say beaten down because it's not a physical thing. It's a mental breakdown to kind of let go of all the things that you had come to know in your life, all your childhood experiences, all the trauma, all the good, just to like, let it go and to be built up as this robust individual who represents the United States. Yeah. And so during that breakdown and then having the individual to my left and to my right stand there beside me and be also broke down and then for us to be built up together, that was a, like my first, I think, show like showing vulnerability, like here I am in the in the raw flesh and we're all in this together and we're all going to get through these exercises and this training together because we have a greater mission ahead of us. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. So about, you know, how many women were there with you when you were going through basic training? Was it, I'm assuming it was mostly men? Yeah, um, I think they slot, they slot the women to be a more significant number, which is probably why I had to wait until January because they wanted to fill up certain ones. Yeah, yeah. But I also went... I was a military police officer, so there's not very many women in that in that field, period. So I honestly don't know the number. I can tell you my unit that I went to after training, um, there was probably, I think, 15-ish of us out of like 120. Yeah, okay. So, so what was explained the, from your perspective, you know, what is the woman culture or what is the warrior culture from, from a woman's perspective, you know, in, as you're, as you're training, you know, as you're about to go to war and to combat, what is that? How does that differ from your perspective from a man? And it just, what was that experience like? Well, I think naturally women are more inclined to discuss their feelings they may they may not choose to but they're a little bit more inclined to be in tune with them and discuss them um and by discuss i mean actually convey what they're feeling mm -hmm. from my experience it's been a little bit more difficult for men to put to words what they're feeling on the inside if that makes sense absolutely and yeah. so so i i think because the majority of my battle buddies 
that I was in the military with were men. Um, we established a brotherhood, a relationship that, I mean, it, it's a bond to never be broken. It really yeah. can't be. I'm already getting like teary-eyed even thinking about it because it doesn't exist in my experience anywhere else. So, mm-hmm. sorry. Um, no, no, you're good. With that, I, uh, a lot of the guys that I went was went through mil- the military with and went through um, our deployment with. I feel like I was able to teach them how to help like in a safe place too. I'm kind of all over the place. Sorry. Um, You're good. This is, uh, this is, this is exactly what we want, right? You, you, yeah, this is you talking and and being vulnerable and there's no right or wrong way to do that. I think, I think one of the, the most important things when a person is, willing or needs to be vulnerable is having a safe place to do it mm-hmm. and in the military you don't you don't feel that a lot um because you're taught to be this you know rough and tough and strong and especially in the united states like we represent this this persona right yeah undestructible unbreakable and so for you to show any aspect that might show oh i am actually breakable um, is this taboo, you know, yeah, you're yeah. not, you're not supposed to talk about it. And so back to being that safe place, I think once you've established that brotherhood and that commodity and that bond with these individuals and these, these men that I call my brothers felt safe with me, they were able to be vulnerable with me mm. and me with them. And then you're sharing in experiences that, like you literally don't know if you're going to be alive tomorrow. Yeah. So, I mean, you talk about everything, everything from your past, everything that you hope to achieve in the future. And with that walls are broken down. And so I think it's just this sense of trust and feeling like you're in a safe place that allows that to happen. So I guess back to your original question, I don't know that it differs per se. Okay. Um, However, I feel like it just might be a little bit easier to communicate the vulnerabilities, to communicate the feelings um, by women. However, in the military, they're probably not going to be the first ones to stand up and start discussing it. Yeah, no, that, yeah, yeah, no, that makes plenty of sense. But, you know, to that point, I think that, which is why it's so important that we have this conversation with, with you and with women is it's like, because I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure that the conversations that the men were having between each other were different than the conversations that they were having with you, because they, I think, oh yeah, I'm sure, yeah, because they, you know, they they trusted you as as a woman. I think it goes back to the nature, right, of being able to discuss more. And I think that that's something that that men need to. That's part of changing, you know, the stigma, right? Is like, mm-hmm. I think, and and that's that's the reason why you're the first woman I've had on this podcast. Not because I, I am discriminating women at all. It's because when I think of the stigma, I don't necessarily think about women because I think of women as being able to help men. Right. Um, so I think, yeah. that, I think that that, the story that, that you just shared in that, um, that relationship, I think is a very important part of, you know, under, of, of changing, um, the, the warrior culture in general. I agree. And I would just add, even as I've gone through the law enforcement realm in the corporate world, um, 
I've, I've been told a few times, oh, Dallas, you wear your heart on your sleeve or, oh, you're, um, you're being emotional about that. Mm-hmm. But I think in all honesty, that's a strength. That's a strength of a woman. And I don't think that we should cast that to the side. Um, and it's something that's powerful that we bring to the table. But with that said, because of that kind of outlook, mostly from men on women in leadership, that we are reserved. We're more reserved because now we have to live up to this persona of, okay, well, I'm not going to be emotional about my decisions. It has to be black and white and I'm not going to wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm just going to be straight to the point. So when I've also tried to approach it that way, then I've been also been told, oh, Dallas, you're, you're too direct and you're, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And you're I, unapproachable and it's like, okay, well, which one do you want me to be? Yeah, it can think, be confusing, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think that, I think that there's uh, to your point, like, I think there's the line is very blurred, right? It's like, you know, where, when is it, especially in the military, right? Cause I mean, if you're on the battlefield, right. And, and you are killing and you are, there are bullets flying by your head. Like that's not the time to be like, you know, to, to break down like then and that's part of your training right but it's like but then there's also yeah. the part where, where you come back and you're alone with your thoughts that it becomes very dangerous and you have to address so yeah. we have to be able to walk that line right and i think that's in the corporate world too and in law enforcement and and in relationships it's like you know where do you have to fall on the part of being a warrior where it's like hey i, I have to i have to compress my emotions and i have to get the job done and then after that mm-hmm. is like okay, well, I also need to express my feelings so that I can continue to do that part of the job to the best capabilities that I can. Yeah, I agree. There has to be a balance. Absolutely. And oftentimes that balance is is off one way with women and the other way with men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we have to work together in order to, to get to that um, society where having the conversation that you and I are having right now is not taboo. And so to that point, let's start, you know, getting into to the nitty gritty part of it, which I think is what every what we always get uncomfortable, right? You get that pit in your stomach. Um, so obviously you came and I'll just disclose this. I'm sure you don't mind, but like you came into this conversation nervous because of your experiences, right? And the things that you've dealt with. So why don't we talk about those thoughts and kind of why you had to take a deep breath and and Dallas before this told me that, you know, she wasn't necessarily looking forward to it, but she understands that the mission is greater than her feelings of uncomfort. So I appreciate you yeah. for that. Um, and I look forward to to discussing, you know, what, what those places were. Yeah, so you had kind of talked to me for what we would discuss. And when, when you asked, you know, what were some quote unquote like dark moments? Mm-hmm. Um, two, two come to mind, one distant and one present. The distant was, um, I think everyone can probably guess when, you know, I came home from deployment, right? Cause you're in a very intense situation for, uh, we were there for about 11 months and, and then you come home and you're just like supposed to just like jump right back into civilization and be this happy go lucky and just ready to go but you can't like escape the thoughts and images and experiences that you had. A lot of times you relive them, you dream about them. Um, There's triggers, sounds, or 
you know, things that happen around you that trigger that moment and you kind of go into that mentality, you switch back into that mentality where you're really on that like heavy fight or flight type of mindset. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to just kind of relax. So coming home, that was, um, it was challenging for me. I remember, um, I'm, we had to go get hay. So like I grew up kind of country, even though I was grew up in Las Vegas and we went to go get hay and my mom had backed her truck in and I wasn't really paying attention. I think I'd only been home maybe a couple of weeks. I'm 20 at this point. And they dropped a couple bills of hay in the back of the truck, but I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. So I just heard the thud mm. and I, I blacked out. I completely blacked out. Mm. And my mom, my mom found me like curled up in the like floorboard of the truck. And I, I, all I can think of is, you know, I mean, we were, when I was overseas, I, there was 28 straight days that we were mortared. So I know I just went right into shit. We're getting mortared, yeah. you know? And so just like trying to deal with that, I still jump when balloons pop Um there was the exercise that they did down in Tampa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that <laughs> freaked a lot of people. I'm sure I that freaked no, a lot of people. I had no idea what was going on. I was like, oh my lord, I had a panic attack. Like I still deal with it, but it's being aware of those triggers, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but what truly helped me through that time was talking about it, which mm -hmm. is not easy. Yeah. Um, and so you. I feel like you really need someone that you can confide in. And that might be someone in your circle now, and it might be a complete stranger. Like I am a huge advocate for therapy. I'm in therapy Absolutely. proudly and having a safe place again, to be vulnerable and to discuss what's going on is key. Um, I didn't have that then because when I came home at the end of 2003, beginning of 2004, um, security clearances were essentially being threatened if you were diagnosed with PTSD. Mm. So the majority of my generation that served in 2003 and 2004 did not seek any type of mental, emotional help assistance therapy, nothing. Because if you were diagnosed, then you lost your security clearance. If you lost your security clearance, you had to be reclassed in the military or if you went on to a civilian job like I did in the law enforcement, then now that job, that, that career is being challenged. So I didn't go, but I dealt with it in my own ways, just talking amongst the people that were there with me. And then um, the short and sweet of it, I, I became a mentor and that almost, it almost sounds silly. Like Dallas, if you're not put together why would you go and mentor others? Well, it was because I was able, I lived through that. Like I had to look at the positive side of it, right? Like I saw a lot of negative things and experienced a lot of negative things, but I made it out. I made it out alive. I made it out strong. And so being able to convey that to um, younger individuals who were going through hardships was inspiring to them. And then it motivated me to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and you know, one of the, from what you just said, I think an important, one of the things we have to tackle is like the reason why 22 vet, veterans day and counting are committing suicide is because of what you just said. And they are literally taught, they, 
in the system now in the system that you went through it's like if you talk about your emotions then in the things that you're battling then you're labeled with with PTSD and you're labeled as as crazy and then it affects your military career and what you want to do there and then it affects your career afterwards it affects your relationship yep. so it's like people are terrified to talk about the things that they're facing because there are significant consequences if you do so and that is right. why the conversations that you and I are having is are so pressing is because one we need to change the way that warriors talks amongst each other and society views mental health but we also need to change the system because if people are afraid to go seek help then they're not going to seek help and they're going to be battling those things right. internally and then that's going to lead to them losing that battle you know nine times out of ten yeah and unfortunately one of the guys that i served with in 03 he took his life um and it feels like forever ago but i think it was four or five years ago hmm. and the the hardest the hardest thing that i heard is like everybody that was around him granted i hadn't even talked spoke to him in a decade but everyone, when, when I went down for his, his celebration of life, everyone that was close to him, his family, his close friends, no one had any indication that he was suffering so bad inside. Mm -hmm. And all I could go back to was, well, he's probably been suffering so bad inside since at least 2003, <laughs> um, but never felt he had a safe place to talk about it. Or he didn't feel like he needed help because he had to live up to this persona of, you know, I'm a badass combat veteran. And he also, in his civilian life, was a police officer. So it, it kills me it, on the inside that, um, that he felt like he had no other choice. But at the same time, I understand it. Because it wasn't very long ago that I too felt that dark space. Um, I've been through a lot in my life, but in the last few years, it's been um, very trialing where I questioned my own, I questioned myself and I felt like I was going, um, I felt like I was like losing it quite frankly. Anyway, point is I felt like I had no other way out mm. and so when I when I when I felt that way when I felt like I had no other alternative that scared me more than anything ever I would have rather gone to I would rather have gone back to Iraq and relive 2003 five times over than feel what I did a little over a year ago yeah and oh, yeah and like when you obviously your buddy who took his life like that's I mean I, I know exactly the feeling right it's because like it's you know how long has he been suffering why didn't he talk to me about it why didn't he talk to someone else I mean in the way that your friend thought and saw himself is the exact same way that my brother thought in saw himself and the same way that I would say most of the 22 veterans who take their life a day feel too. And so that's yeah. why, that's why this conversation is so pressing, right? So let's, 
you know, let's dive a little bit deeper into what you were just getting into. And I guess that moment of, of your life, if you're comfortable, um, because I think it's something that a lot of people will relate to yeah. in, your, in your strength and ability to, to talk about it will help save someone's life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I didn't really feel like I had a safe person to talk to, to be honest with you. And this, um, was, re- and this was this was recently? Yeah, this is the maybe a year, year and a half ago. Okay. I mean, it lasted for months. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm just going to be transparent because we're being transparent, right? I'm going through a divorce right now. And mm-hmm. my person who I thought at the time was my person did not, wasn't there for me in the way that I needed him to be. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really have anybody else. And then there's this whole like social media thing, right? Where we put out only the good. So everyone assumes that you're happy and everything's amazing and you're just living your best life because that's what we put out. So it's kind of our own fault, but no one wants to put out all the negative. So everyone, right. And everyone around me just assumed that. And then of course, when I would go out in public, you know, I just put on my happy face and, you know, went about my day. And so I wasn't vulnerable and it almost cost me the most debt I could ever pay, which was my being. And I knew that I had to make some significant changes, but I just didn't know how. Now, how I flipped that switch was having one of the most amazing Saving Grace mentors come to me at a time I, I kid you not God put her in my life <laughs> mm-hmm. for like in that given time for a reason and I just connected with her and she was mentoring me from a business standpoint but I confided in her and through that relationship and feeling safe and being vulnerable with her I I knew that things needed to change and so I changed the way I ate, like I started with my nutrition, which significantly helped. Um, a lot of people don't think that their nutrition has anything to do with their mental and emotional state, but it mm. absolutely does. Absolutely. And so my nutrition um, change absolutely helped. Um, I started surrounding myself by people that I aspired to be like, mm. and they motivated me and pushed me and saw my potential. And and then I just, I made probably one of the hardest decisions on my in my life that up to now, and that was to end my marriage. And I'm still working through that and all the repercussions of that. And it's, it's um, not the the best situation, but I'm, I'm still driving forward and I, I made it out. And I've been in the last few months more aware of like what mental and emotional abuse looks like and the impact that that has on a person. Mm -hmm. And I know that I've gone through the experiences that I have in my life because I'm going to turn around and I'm going to end up helping someone else. And I hope that we're able to do that together today. But I also want to take this on a whole nother realm of just educating people on what mental and emotional abuse looks like and then giving them avenues of how they can 
approach those topics and address them and get help and find support. Because from, from what I have found, and myself included, there are a lot of individuals out there that pride themselves on their title, we'll call it that, like their professional life, right? But they're dealing with a lot of mental and emotional things, but they put on that fake face because they have this persona to live up to and they don't address it. And those are the people that tend to be the most shocking losses. Yeah. You know, oh my gosh, they they were making half a million a year and had their own business and they were married and three kids and had the five bedroom house and the freaking Maserati. You know what I mean? Why would they take their life? Because you don't know what's going on on the inside. And that's like what you said at the beginning, right? Don't judge a book by its cover. You can't, you never ever know what's going on with a person on the inside. No, you don't know. unless you talk to them about it, unless that person tells you, right. And that's, that's why we have to start with vulnerability. I mean, there's so much to unpack and, and what you just said and, the divorce thing, you know, resonates with me because my parents got divorced in, you know, when I was in seventh grade and, um, I know how sticky it can be, but I also know that it was for the better. Right. Um, and I didn't see it in the moment there, but like looking back at it, it was, and I think that divorce is something that from a man and a woman's perspective, right. That's a very, that's, that's something that we need that that society needs to talk about too. And how does that affect your, you know, every state of, of, of your life. Right. And so divorces is, is, is not something that you push to the side and it, and it, and it makes complete sense why you felt, you know, the ways that you did because of, because of just the nature of, of what a divorce does. So, you know, let's, what, I guess like on like a day-to-day because I think it's important for listeners, for women out there going through, you know, through divorce, for people that, um, and men, and, and for people who are uh, dealing with emotional abuse, like not necessarily the abuse side, but like what did the, when you were in that dark point, like what did the day-to-day look like for you? How challenging it, like was it to live on, you know, with with your life and to put on that smile, like walk me through like those, those hardships. One word, exhausting, exhausting, because I felt like I was on this roller coaster, like, okay, it's 8am time to clock in. I have to be this corporate executive professional and get all my stuff and things done. And then, Oh, okay. It's 3pm. The kids are home. I've got to tend to them and get dinner and, you know, get all the stuff and things done. But what I would end up towards the end of the day is I had no energy left for me. Mm. I was running on empty and it was in the empty moment that I would find myself on the bathroom floor, curled up in the fetal position, bawling my eyes out. Mm. And I was just, I just, I don't know how else to explain it, but just tired, so tired because putting forth a false persona is exhausting. It's Mm -hmm. so exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I just like, it's like the feeling that I would have would just be like, I just want to go to sleep and never wake up again. Yeah. Yeah. And 
I mean, it is. So I've done the same thing, right? And I think everyone who deals with with depression, when you say I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, some some people are fine, but like a majority of people are not. And so when you're saying I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, and you don't talk about it, like that's it's having to put on a smile, yeah. and like you said, it's it's emotionally it's emotionally draining. Mm-hmm. So how? And I think an important thing that you said is like. And what our whole mission here is like, you can't protect those who you love, whether that be this country or your family, if you don't make the time for yourself first and put yourself and your mental health at as a, as the largest priority, right? Because you, I mean, you have to take care of yourself in order to be a loving mother, in order to be a warrior, in order to be a CEO, and all the things that we've been discussing. You have to have the strength, and you you can't you can't fake it until you make it right like you can Mm-mm. yeah you 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 have to be able to talk about those things and have those discussions because at some point or another you're going to become too tired and that being that actor is no longer gonna is, is gonna work anymore a hundred percent a hundred percent and that's really what i found is that even though i was you know going about my job and going about being a mom and going about the other tasks that I had, it was, it was half-assed. It was little, and to be honest with you, Bruce and Ed, of which you both know, Mm -hmm. approached me and said, Dallas, something is up. I don't know what it is, but we can tell like your, like, it's not really like your performance, but like it's something is up with you. Um, We can tell just the way, your, your work ethic isn't what it was. And I broke down to them. So, and I've never even told them this, so I guess they'll hear it here first, or maybe yeah. I should make a phone call after this. Yeah, yeah. But um, that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back in a good way for me. Mm. And I, I am so thankful for them. And I don't even think I realized how thankful I am until right now in this moment. Yeah. Because they saw change and instead of just brushing it to the side. And I think obviously a lot of it is what Bruce had recently gone through. Yeah. With um, that, losing that. his son. Yeah. He, he saw some commonalities and he called me out on it and he said, something's all right. I don't know what it is, but this is a safe place and you can, you can talk to us. And I did. And so that was huge for me. So I guess on the other aspect of it, like, if you think someone's not okay, yeah. they're probably not okay. Yep. And you know what? It's okay to ask them. And it's okay to ask them a second time, a fifth time, a twelfth time. I promise they're not going to be like ignore, like they're not going to be annoyed. Because if something truly is wrong, they're going to appreciate the fact that you're checking in on them. Even if they don't talk about it. Yeah, and I think that in Bruce and I talked this on our on my podcast or our podcast with him, but it's, I never did that with my brother and I knew that something was wrong. I didn't know what it was, but I never talked to him about it because I have, I wasn't at that level of maturity or, or understanding in the whole reason behind the 38 challenges because I didn't pick up the phone and make that call and say, bro, what is wrong? And no one else really did it with him either um and so the fact that the i know i know the reason that bruce said that to you is because 
he feels the same way about Mac. And it's like him and I and you, you know, and the people who jump on this podcast, like now we know the hard way that you have to ask and vulnerability is a two-way street. And I think to our point earlier, you don't know what someone's feeling until you talk to them about it and until someone verbalizes the things that are in it. And it could be one conversation that leads to them going to talk to someone else all it is just putting a rock in the shoe, right? And, and, and starting that conversation and taking that first step. And it can be from two ways. I think, I hope this podcast enables other people to seek help and to go talk to someone that they trust. And I also hope that this podcast enables people to call that person that it's like, hey, is something wrong? Because you, you probably have those people who you, who you think about, right? And it's like, what is, like, I already, <laughs> I already know three people I'm going to call after this podcast and just to check in on because of what you just said. Um, yeah. and because, and because we need to practice what we preach. And I think that calling, you know, Bruce and Ed and saying the same thing is like, Hey, you did this for me. Um, that's how it's just one conversation at a time, one phone call at a time that made that difference. Um, so I guess, you know, we'll transition from, and I'm still, I'm sh- like you said, you're still dealing with some of those things, but so understanding that you have to take care of yourself first what are some of those things that you changed from that moment when when your back broke right and that last straw was put on there yeah what changes have you made in your own life whether that like you said whether that be um, physical health or your diet or things you do for your mental health just walk us through some of those things that have helped you yeah well i already discussed the nutrition aspect huge huge advocate of that it helped tremendously get me jump started in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I also started meditating. Um, sometimes it's definitely harder than other. My brain is always going. Yep, it's always too. been that way, but it's just always, and I never feel like it shuts off. So meditation helps, but also I will dive into a ridiculous fiction book mm-hmm. <laughs> just to just go into another world because your brain has to fixate on it mentors i don't care how old you are how much experience you think you have having a mentor is huge and not just one i have several i have mentors in the nutrition space i have mentors in my business space i have mentors in my horse riding space like i I will take on all the mentors i love i love having someone that already knows a little bit more than me that I can lean on. Yep. I was just about to say so mentorship. Yeah. Mentor is someone that is someone that you lean on. But I also think you need to be that mentor when you're in a, in a good space as well, because it allows your experiences good, bad, and indifferent to in a roundabout way, be validated. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't just go through it for nothing. You went through it to learn a lesson and to then teach that lesson to somebody else. And that's at least for me, what keeps me driven and keeps me going every single day. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, all those things are so important and that's, those are just a few things that you can do. Right. And those are things that have helped you personally. And there's, mm-hmm. there's other things out there that you, yeah. can, that you can do as well. And um, just to the meditation piece, I'm a huge, huge believer in meditation scientifically it is the only thing that can repair gray matter in your brain naturally so meditation literally repairs the injuries inside of your brain it is so 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 important and that's another thing that's 
has this stigma to it where it's like if you meditate you know you're 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 a guru you're weird yeah. but, th- but thankfully now business professionals and warriors and athletes it's now becoming this human performance type deal right where it's like it, be, it makes you right. better at all aspects of life which it does and it also i mean it just it like i said i can't talk say enough things about it i'm the same way where it's like this morning i was like Sometimes I'm at a time like, ah, oh, that one was decent. And then other times I'll be like, man, that one was brutal. Like, why did I even just sit down there? But it's like a workout, right? You're still, as long mm-hmm. as you show up to the gym and you, you, if you're tired, if whatever, you've had a long day, you're getting better when you show up, right? And so the step yep. that's, and I think, and I think with vulnerability and with everything, that's why we need to change the language between like mental, mental health. It also needs to be mental fitness because it's the same. It's the same yeah. thing as 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 showing up to the gym, right? You're getting mental exercise. Like meditation is like a bicep curl for your for your brain, right? Like it, you're getting stronger yeah. every time that you do it. So just a quick little tidbit. Love meditation, um, and I, you know, I think a lot of people who understand vulnerability and are high performers do too. And that's something that can save your life. Tell me, tell you know, we have probably 10 15 minutes left um so before we wrap up i know mentorship is obviously as you said something really important to you why don't you tell us the story of kind of uh, of the, the the girl you were mentoring and the smoothie shop or t- walk me through that story because i think that's such a mm-hmm. powerful a powerful piece of vulnerability yeah. and a powerful piece of mentorship yeah i think i think about this story probably at least once a day and that's this is honestly what the foundation of the not so average Jane podcast and, and trying to just reach out and touch as many adolescents as I can who come from crappy backgrounds and motivate them and inspire them that they can do anything that they put their mind to. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so the story is, is as such when I came home from deployment, as I already mentioned, I, I needed to kind of, one of the things that helped me was pouring myself back into someone else and helping so I was part of this, it's called the, the SOAR project, where essentially the military teamed up with the juvenile justice system and put on like a three-day boot camp for at-risk teens who are already in the system. The judge basically said, this is your last opportunity. You pass this three-day camp and then you're okay. If not, you're going to juvie. And so it was one of those weekends and there was a a young girl that was there and she kind of was very quiet, reserved, didn't say a whole lot, kind of, you know, outcasted herself um, the entire weekend. Well, one of the last tasks that we do is a ruck march, a 13 mile ruck march. Um, Basically, we just hiked through the mountains, no ruck for these kids, but she was hanging towards the back. And I decided to kind of hang back there with her and started up a conversation, um, you know, 30, 45 minutes into the, the march. She opened up a little bit to me and she shared with me that she was 11 years old. And at the age of nine, she had been awarded custody to her uncle because her mom got put in jail and her dad had basically never been involved in her life. And at nine years old, her uncle was essentially paying for his meth by pimping her out. So she was being forced to have sex with these drug dealers. And she ended up stealing some of her uncle's meth. 
so that um, she could basically go to another place mentally as she was being raped. And I looked at her dead honest at, I think I was 20 years old, you know, and said, I would have done the same thing. And she kind of like stepped back and was like, what, like, what do you mean? I'm like, I, I would have done the same thing. Like what other option did you have like to endure that mentally and emotionally? Like you had an out, you had a substance you could take that would take you somewhere else so that you didn't have to mentally be there momentarily. I would have done it too. And I think that statement, she was just like, wow, okay, you are human. And I think that was part of me just being vulnerable to her and being in a just trusted place. Well, anyway, I started talking about and shared some of my childhood traumas and how I didn't necessarily come from a great upbringing either. And that fork in the road that I got to where I was like, okay, well, I can continue hanging out with the crowd that I am and, you know, end up strung out on drugs, dancing around a stripper pole or I can go into the military and learn some discipline, travel the world and figure things out from there. And I told her, you know, I obviously made the decision to go in the military and, and, you know, she didn't have to allow her past to define her. Yeah. And wow. we chatted a little bit more, but that was essentially the, the gist of the conversation. And I said a whole lot of prayers between then and the next time um, that I saw her. But the, the next part of the story was about three, four years later, I was in civilian clothes and I think I was even out of the military at that point. I had walked into a donut shop and the worker behind the counter made eye contact with me. And you know, when like you see someone and you're like, I know this person, but I yeah. can't place it Yeah. because it's like in the eyes because they're, everything else has kind of changed a little yeah, bit, but their eyes remain the same. To, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I see this, this girl's eyes and I'm like, I know this girl. And she comes around the counter and just embraces me. And I'm like, at first I'm like, who is this stranger? Yeah, hugging yeah, me? yeah, yeah. And then it, then it hits me like, boom, like a ton of bricks. It's her. And she looks so amazing. And she was working and she had filled out like all her face and just like all of this. And she bawled her eyes out. And of course I bawled my eyes out. And she just like told me, thank you. She said, your story motivated me. I went back to the judge and I told him everything. And I asked to be placed with any other family member. And she got placed with like a cousin of her mom and was a straight A student and was working. And she told me that she wanted to join the military. And I wish I could find her now because I don't know where she is. But forever, she has impacted my heart and has been my motivation to spread that word of, you know, you don't have to let your past of, to define you and you sure as hell can do whatever the hell you want. Just got to put your mind and effort into it. Yeah. And hopefully that this conversation so, get, reaches her someday, somehow. Oh um, my gosh. If she hears this, please yeah, find yeah, me. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, yeah. again, so many, so many things that vulnerability can do for yourself because i mean as you mentioned like that is one that story and that experience and showing that that sense of compassion and vulnerability has now led you to to have your passion and your mission right and it's that and it's and it's those stories right and it's that girl's story and everyone sh and people sharing their stories with one another and their experiences like that's how we change society for the better. 
And I think an important thing to note is that in which we started the conversation with, it's like you can't judge a book by its cover because you can look at that girl and you can judge her all you want, but then you hear her story yeah. and, and like you said, n- everyone would do the same thing that, that she did. And like that is, you can't even fathom, like it makes me so sick, right, that she, that, that little girl at nine years old was placed in such brutal circumstances that she had to yeah. result to meth in it. But it's like, of course she did. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's just, I mean, that, that's, that story is so powerful. And I, and I really wanted that our listeners to listen to it. So, I mean, I think we've, we've covered so much and, you know, I, I look forward to have to continue these conversations with you. And I mean, we've touched on your experiences and, and how you got through it, how you continue to get through it and ways to help and, and in that story and mentorship. So I guess we'll close out with, you know, you've only known me for about a week, right? And known about the 38 challenge for maybe a little bit longer than that. But like, what does the 38 challenge represent to you? What is it? What does it mean to you? I mean, it engulfs everything that we just spoke about in the last few minutes. It's spreading awareness. It's bringing courage to those who may not feel like they have the strength to talk or seek help. Um, It's putting ourselves out there so that someone else feels like they can do it too. Mm -hmm. And humifying ourselves like you know we're not celebrities yet although you're probably on your way to being one (laughs) but you know like we're we're just we're just people we're just humans we're dealing everyone deals with something every day in their life and everyone has mental emotional physical um challenges some are greater than others everyone has trauma um everyone's definition of trauma is a little different and just like you said, being able to discuss it and normalize it and, you know, take this because it's, I think the taboo is okay. Well, if you are struggling mentally or emotionally, then you're weak and no one wants to be weak. And so they put forth these personas. Correct. So that would be, that would be my, my, I guess my take is like taking the weakness out of that equation. Like if you're, I I think it's even further than that. I think it's, making it so that is what strength is, is talking about it. It's not even right. taking weakness out of it, but it's saying that, that this is what makes a strong person because if you talk to the strongest people in the world, I guarantee that they say the same thing. Yes, yes. And it will only make you stronger if you face it. So, you know, I, as I, you kind of covered in the beginning, I texted you last night and was like, oh, I think I'm going to back out. But then, yeah. you know, I took a breath and I realized that the mission is greater than the fear. And I think that if you can have that mentality, no matter what you're going through, whatever the mission might be for you, mm-hmm. and I know that's a very military term, but it, it no, can be anything in your anything. life. Yeah. It could be fatherhood, motherhood, your career, the whatever. Um, if you just look them at the mission and say that it's more important than the fear, then you can tackle anything. Hell yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think we'll wrap it up there. So, so Dallas, how... Um, you know, I, I know you said it's been a little bit since you've had, you posted your podcast, but, um, you know, how can people find you? How can they reach out to you? If their story resonates yeah. with you, what are some ways that people can, can reach out to you? 
Yeah, thanks. So not so average Jane com is the website. You can find everything there, including if you need a mentor or you need someone to talk to, or if any of the, I call them Janes, if any of the Janes who have shared their story, if you would like for them to speak, most of them are very open to sharing their story. Um, they're located all around the country. Um, we're on Instagram and also on TikTok and we are going to be, and I say we, it's like me, myself, and I, and all my all my yeah. Dallas minions inside. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. the next series, the first series that we did was um, basically that it was a group of women who are in amazing careers, very successful, but they, to just put it out there, they came from crap backgrounds. Yeah, they, had a, they, they were had not a served life. Right. They weren't served life on a silver platter. They've definitely been through the fire, but they still made something of themselves. And so the motivation there was all from the story that I just shared with you. Mm -hmm. Um, The next series that we're that I'm putting together is um, overcoming trauma. Mm -hmm. And it's focused around women right now um, and just how they've they've overcome it, how they've looked at dead in the face, how they pushed through it. Um, So that'll be the next series that's coming out this summer looking very much forward to listening to it and thank you i mean so much for just the vulnerability and for the tears and the laughter and you know the the ugly and the pretty i mean that's that's what this podcast is about right um not the not you know you know what i'm saying you're you, you are beautiful I, I but feel yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but um awesome thank you so much dallas and you know i know this is just the beginning of our relationship and um, us helping people together so thank you so much Thank you, Brent. Appreciate it.